0: outlaws and scorned women is intended for entertainment purposes only nothing on this show should ever be construed as actual legal advice also it is chock full of adult content so we do recommend a little bit of listener discretion Oh, my God. Is that your puppy behind you? Oh, probably. I just saw an ear move. She's over there on the bed. Oh, my okay. God.
1: Oh, yeah. She sleeps. Will you call head. her
0: stupid name so I can see her face? I have Tink. not met this puppy yet.
1: Tink. Hi, baby. <gasps> Hi. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hi, baby.
0: Listeners at home, this is an audio medium, so you don't know how fucking cute that she puppy is. She's back down oh. because she's just had a
1: very long, hard day of puppy stuff. She, um, oh, my gosh. So nobody told me with a German Shepherd dog. Like, this is a whole different game than oh, yeah? our previous dogs, Um, because she's smart. She knows multiple oh, no. commands, mm-hmm. but she decides when the F she's going to comply with them. <laughs> and uh, she's also, like, part Velociraptor. Like, that's... Uh, um, She's just super... She gets stimulated, and she's like, I'm gonna... I'm gonna grab you by the hand, or I'm gonna bite the kid in the butt. <laughs> like, just... <'cause, laughs> Not not hard, not like violent, but she just gets all like she wants to and she's this big honking thing with her claws and her teeth and she just right. wants to play real rough. <laughs> and
0: she's all puppy action. My goodness. Yes.
1: And she looks out the window and she growls and barks oh. at like anybody doing anything, whether they water their flowers or
0: walk mm-hmm. their dog. Or... Well, they need to know that this is not where they can come and do that. That's exactly they have to stay right. over there and do that. Um, which must be nice because my dog only does that to opossums.
1: (laughs) She's super precious, but she's also a hot mess. So yay. Quarantine puppy.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's on brand. Um, so yeah, we, uh, I guess we could address, um, the hiatus. We have, we haven't done this in a while. We haven't. Our our last episode was the beefy crunch burrito incident. (laughs) And that was back in October. What's that? October? Of 2020. Yeah. So, like, October, November, December, here we are in January. It's been a few months. It's yes, been a few months.
1: I fell off the planet a little, like, um,
0: well, with work I mean,
1: just being up and down and not, yeah, not not as easily managed. And then we mm-hmm. had those holidays.
0: Yeah, then the holidays ate us alive. And then, um, like, we both have jobs and we both mm-hmm. are in uh, the same cage with our children all of the time. All the time. I blink and the day's over. Yeah, <laughs> like what happened? What did I achieve? We survived, yay! No, like, you're,
1: you are not wrong about that. There's, it is a lot of days that kind of smoosh together, and then mm-hmm. we say that was October. No, it wasn't. October. That was October.
0: That was before Halloween.
1: Get out!
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was back in twenty twenty in the dark times.
1: But yes, back when we were having election anxiety. Not. Oh my god. Not like is there
0: going to be full-on civil unrest like what's happening yeah what's yeah what's happening so like there it was it was one thing after another it was like it was the elections and then it was the holidays and then it was uh trying to get election certified and then the shenanigans surrounding that process and just so anyway hi guys um we're here we're back and um welcome back to outlaws and scorned women the podcast that explores the criminal history of the great state of Texas. Um, my name is Stephanie. I am a lapsed theater kid who has perhaps a little too much interest in, um, criminal activity and such morbid pursuits. And my co-host is? I'm, I'm still Stephanie, um, as well. <laughs> also,
1: um, uh, I'm a mom, lawyer, Buffy fan, um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, living, mm-hmm. living large and, yep. uh, <laughs> By living large, I mean, we are we are in Girl Scout cookie season, so we got that going on, too.
0: By the way, when we're done recording here, I need to get with you about some Thin Mints.
1: <laughs> I, I'm, I am happy to yeah. let my daughter be your cookie dealer.
0: Yeah, if she could just, like, tap them directly into my vein, that'd be great.
1: Hey, we, we will socially distanced no-contact mm-hmm. deliver them to your door.
0: I do love a no-contact delivery. That's great um so yeah we are back and we are diving into it with both feet in a big way um so you may have noticed if you looked at the cover uh for this podcast i haven't shown you yet stuff <laughs> i think i gave i showed you some concepts but um it will have said on the cover for this particular episode chapter one this is a multi-part story that we're telling here um and this story may be uh let me know your thoughts on this. Maybe the most notoriously Texas story ever.
1: I mean, th- there are a few, but I think this one really—it's it, up there. It's on the short list.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the most requested story for us to cover. And every person, literally every person who has ever found out that I'm doing a podcast about Texas and crime has asked. About this this story. Have you had anybody ask you about it? Oh,
1: absolutely. And I, I know we have one listener in particular that you as do. I was hey, buddy. reading through some very thick kind of materials, I was like, you better be happy, <laughs> bud. You better be happy
0: with You this. know who you are and you had better appreciate this because this... So many doors.
1: So many doors were opened and I've had so many thoughts and imaginings and disturbing wonderings
0: yeah. about yeah. this story which is honestly why i wanted to do a true crime podcast in the first place i really i really like it i really like the diving into it anyway also asked along with this you know i like like my top three questions that i get asked of, of stories that we need to cover is was the chainsaw massacre uh, texas chainsaw massacre based on a true story okay which like yes but no but yes um What about the Clock Tower Sniper? That's Charles Whitman. We already did that. We did do that. And then there's, hey, what about Waco? Can we talk about Waco? Are you guys going to talk about the Branch Davidians and Waco?
1: And it's interesting because we've previously talked about Waco. I mean, there has been quite a
0: history in this town out. there's something in the water and it's like it's it's a little too north to be central a little too south to be north like this town doesn't even exist anywhere in texas it doesn't belong to any one area it's just sort of this bermuda triangle of that's right north of north of <laughs> austin the of texas. south of dallas just yeah. in this no man's land it's not hilly it's not completely flat it's not forest it's not it's not rocks like it's not anything, and yet it is everything. And it is, it, I feel like it is like a ley line intersection of madness, the city totally. of Waco. um, And one incident in particular uh, is that everybody knows Waco for, like Waco became world famous, and everybody remembers this image of like a building and then a like a civilian building and then a tank being driven through the wall. And then minutes later, everything's on fire. And so uh, for like the last 30 years, people have been trying to figure out how the hell did we get to the point where the U.S. military was assisting federal agents in the process of driving a tank into somebody's home. And well, we happen to be on a podcast about true crime in Texas right now. So let's talk about it. We're going to go back <laughs> in time to before Chip and Joanna
1: Gaines take over. Of the entire Chip and Joanna Gaines? Do you not know about this? What are Chip and Joanna Gaines? They have totally remade the whole Magnolia. Oh my gosh!
0: Who are Chip and Joanna Gaines? For one thing, they
1: had a, a fabulous
0: home improvement
1: show. Do you remember, like when Shiplap was taking everything okay, over?
0: Okay, okay, sure.
1: So they became like completely. um They just sh- blew up everywhere after their HGTV show. um
0: are you googling it right now? Please do, because I do not I remember the
1: name. <laughs> I, what was the name of it? Um, Fixer Upper. Oh, okay. They would they would go into somebody's house and they would just like she would imprint that place with her style. Okay. And it was like this rustic kind of you know old wooden farm tables. Okay. And shiplap on the walls. Okay. And she would that sounds know, like a nightmare, the whole but thing all right. Together with these like I don't know iron you know signs that said like welcome home or whatever the, the kind
0: of well, like cursive iron sign that says like eat in the dining room so you know what to do in there
1: no exact yes mm-hmm. but so she they ended up moving to waco oh no and they started renovating homes there uh-huh they also like redeveloped this entire area like where they had the huh. grain silos and now it's got you know um uh, Oh my gosh, it's got eateries and it's got, you know, these shopping, this shopping district where you can go
0: purchase things for your home. I mean, that sounds like a perfectly, if you are not from Texas, or if you're not, if you're not familiar with Waco, all of that sounds perfectly normal and natural. But honestly, for me, listening to this, it's like you're telling me somebody built a subdivision in Area 51. Like, (laughs) so, oh my God, Waco's so um... weird. (laughs) <laughs> don't tell me it's, somebody it's, tried to tame it you can't do it, that no. those those energies are wild oh my gosh it's
1: like this i've seen okay for instance my my mom's dad and wife like went there for a day shopping trip uh-huh and posted on the facebook their pictures you know ice cream shop and, uh-huh you know purchasing some wares for their home like yeah it's, okay. it's its own little They you know, they are now like the king and queen of Waco.
0: I mean, okay, good good for them. If they with their powers of Shiplap uh, have compelled the spirits of Waco into into civility, then congratulations and good for everyone involved because it's been like twenty seven years and maybe they deserve some peace.
1: So if you go to oh, Magnolia.com no. oh, God. they have Doing a it right plan now. your plan your trip to Waco planning a day trip or weekend getaway
0: magnolia.com i mean it's a lot of shopping that no that's exactly what it is that's the brilliance of it just go oh and
1: enjoy the converted silos inside
0: magnolia events events what have we got events at the silos silobration 2020 silobration oh my so, god Okay, if okay, we ever okay.
1: need to make a Waco field trip, we can get some cupcakes <laughs> and uh some walk on over to the
0: Look, <laughs> oh, L- I'm L- not L- even L- sure trip. what shiplap is, but I like to say shiplap. Okay. <laughs> so yes, we need to rewind the clock to prior to the Chip and Joanna Gaines assimilation of the space. Um, we actually need to go pretty far back. So um it's it's gonna be a long story, y'all get comfortable. Here we go. Um we're not going all the way through, by the way. Just so everyone's aware we're taking we're taking pieces because there is a lot there's a lot there's a lot of territory to cover with the Waco branch Davidian cults in Texas situation right there's a lot of territory to cover, so we're going to take it in pieces and uh so we're um today we're going to be talking about sort of the history of things so go with me in the wayback machine you know like <laughs> What's Wayne's World this Mac?
1: It's a shame that everybody else couldn't see that. <laughs> was it?
0: Was it? Going to like, in,
1: in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna revise dee, that statement. Dee. It's a damn shame.
0: It's a damn shame. Nobody could see
1: your hand waves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I am a '90s child. Anyway, um so we're gonna go all the way back to 1929 when a Bulgarian immigrant by the name of Victor. Potiphar was a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and he had a bit of a disagreement with them. Now, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a Christian group that uh, they focus a lot on the Book of Revelations, not as poetry or allegory, but as like an actual real event that's going to happen. Uh, they do believe in the second advent of Jesus Christ, hence Adventists in the name. Um, and they devote their lives to preparing for this event, as in preparing themselves to be good people worthy of being rewarded on that day. It's actually kind of sweet. They are pacifists, and like maybe we could use a little more of that energy in the world <laughs> saying. Anyway, uh Victor Hutef uh a disagreed Hotef? Hutif. It's a hard name to pronounce. Hutif. Victor Hutefort disagreed with the seventh day adventists because uh he felt that they were too compromising of uh worldly concerns by which he means they were a little too like watching tv and movies and people dancing and stuff like that so their feet um,
1: were too much in
0: this world
1: and not
0: not the next focusing enough on preparing for the next so um Victor and his wife Florence take their congregation and they splinter away from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, They declare themselves to be a new sect called the Davidians. Davidian as in David, as in biblical David, king of Israel, David, David and Goliath, David, the guy in the statue of David, that David. Davidians. All the Davids. All the Davids. Um, so uh, Victor and Florence and the Davidians pack up and move in 1935 and purchase a large chunk of land well outside the city of Waco. Uh, because they would like to be as removed from worldly concerns as they can. So they're now like 10 miles or so outside of the city of Waco. And they call this piece of land Mount Carmel. Um, not because there's any mountains there. There's not. Uh, they, <laughs> this is Texas. We don't actually have mountains. I think the closest hey. thing we've got is enchanted rock, we which have is a, hills. literally just a big rock. Um, it's a really big rock, though. <laughs> <And> <laughs> um, a big hunk of granite. It is. Uh, it's actually really cool. I haven't been there in years. Irrelevant. Um, Mount Carmel is actually named after a mountain range in northwestern Israel. So there is um, a focus on Israel and its role uh, in the end of days. So, hmm. uh, And they pretty much continue the Seventh-day Adventist practices. They worship on Saturdays. They are pacifists. They're focusing on the apocalypse, always on the apocalypse. But with a special Victor Hood of Twist – Um, Because when you make your own religious sect, you are now its prophet, and you get to make the rules, you get to write the script. That's how that goes. Um, So Victor believed that it was his mission to gather the 144,000 people prophesied in the book of Revelations uh, to form a new, more pure, more reformed church and— that his forming of this church would herald the end of this era of sin and the the coming of christ so this is his mission now life at mount carmel is exactly pretty much what you would expect a for a uh rural home base compound really of a religious sect uh they're very isolated and it's a little intense, um, they're outside the the city limits. They have rejected all modern things though they do still have electricity and water. Um, most of the families, everybody that lives in Mount Carmel also works the land. They've got gardens, they've got livestock. They're really self-sufficient. They have got a little printing press, uh, for making their own pamphlets to hand out to people and let folks know about, you know, the end of the world. Um, And on Saturdays, they uh, all get together and worship in their own sweet little church that's built on the property. And it's got a giant clock painted on the floor. And this clock has got the big hand on the 12 and the little hand on the 11 for 11 o'clock. Like a doomsday clock. Yes, it's 11 o'clock, the 11th hour. So that every time you go to church, you are reminded visually that the end is always nigh. The doomsday is coming. And uh, the congregation, um, you know, it grows steadily. It is a really, it's a really peaceful kind of life. Uh, And this is in the 30s and 40s. This is post-war. Maybe a lot of people found this appealing. If you could handle the no movies, the no dancing, the no alcohol, no tobacco, all the men wear trousers, all the women wear long dresses and don't cut their hair or wear any makeup, then the compound at Mount Carmel was for you. Things go along uh, in this way until uh, 1955 when Victor Hotev dies. Did you, did you have something?
1: Oh, no. I was um, just making a mental note that in this compound where everybody mm-hmm. kind of had this insular, you know, view of the world and their, um, their identities were connected, you know, connected mm-hmm. them spiritually, but they were also connecting themselves visually. You know, physically, mm-hmm. like their um, very much
0: outward identity all also matched. Mm-hmm. Like it's they had, they had, uh, it was almost a uniform. Like you mm-hmm. could tell at a glance the Davidians. Mm-hmm. Um, assuming they ever left the compound to be seen by anyone other than each other. Right. So it's, it's this little, this echo chamber, but it's an echo chamber of, of peace and living on the land and preparing your soul. So like it's a harmless echo chamber at this point i suppose
1: but then when you would see them if you did see them outside out in public Mm -hmm. you know the fact that everybody else looked different would also be a reminder of like we are not they
0: and they are not us. right like there is a separation here and and yeah i mean they would go out and do some community outreach that's why they made the pamphlets but it was like limited so 1955 victor hood ...passes away, Florence takes over as the new prophet for the Davidians. And um, for reasons known only to Florence, uh, she receives a message from God to let her know that the world is going to end on April 22nd, 1959, during Passover. So by this point, the Davidians, like they're not all completely living at Waco. They have branches out all over the world. And so Florence puts out the call to all Davidians, letting them know, hey, world's going to end. Everybody needs to come to Mount Carmel. We are going to sit here and pray together and await a sign from God. And so some 900 people in total abandoned and sold their businesses and their homes and all their worldly possessions and congregated at Mount Carmel, outside of Waco, to hang out and await the apocalypse, the blowing of the horns, the, a sign from God for how to proceed from there, and then, rather inconveniently, the world did not end. So... You've got 900 people who have just had everything that they believed shaken. Their faith in Florence uh Hutuf as their prophet destroyed. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to believe. So into that maelstrom forming itself in a spin into a power vacuum stepped Ben Roden. Ben Roden was a Davidian, and he had come to this unfortunately failed apocalypse gathering with his wife Lois and his son George. And he steps into that and he declares himself to be the sign from God. Guys, don't worry. I am the sign from God. I am the new true prophet. And yeah, he scooped up some followers that way because they didn't have anywhere else to turn. And there was a big apocalypse prophet-shaped hole in their lives, and Ben Roden filled that. So he steps in and he scoops up the followers and he takes over Mount Carmel because Mount Carmel belongs to the church. Um, now he recognizes that uh, in order to take over, you kind of have to do a little <clears throat> rebranding. So uh, they are no longer the Davidians. According to Ben Roden, they are now the branch Davidians, which is completely different from <laughs> the Davidians, except not at all um Ben-roden prior to his conversion to being a davidian had been a messianic jew so um the 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 focus of the branch davidians was a little more on israel's involvement in christianity and its focus as um as of a, a possible actual like terrestrial point in the apocalypse there was a lot more israel focus he took some pilgrimages uh to israel and such um they remain pacifists. They continue to work the land. They stay away from the wider, more sinful world. Uh, and Ben Roden has his ready-made dynasty all set to go in place with his wife Lois and his son George, should God call him home at any point. The only wrinkle in Ben Roden's plan was his son George Roden. <sighs> okay, look, I, <clears throat> I'm not going to say that George Roden was crazy. The state of Texas will say that. What I will say is that maybe if you are someone who is wired to maybe have some struggles with your mental health, perhaps living on an isolated compound where you are the heir apparent to two people who have claimed themselves to be direct prophets of the Lord heralding the end times is not the best environment for you to maintain an even keel.
1: I think that is a perfect understatement.
0: Just (laughs) this side of perfectly understatement. (laughs) George had a lot of undiagnosed issues, and we can armchair psychology him all day long, and we will not know.
1: Well, I mean, just... I'm thinking about this child raised with the stress Mm -hmm. and the anxiety and the fear, the faithful fear Mm -hmm. of the end. And that you must do everything you can to be one of the chosen, Mm -hmm. one of those who's ready to answer God's call if you are so worthy. Mm -hmm. And that is baked into you. And that
0: from the beginning, from the beginning,
1: and everywhere is a reminder of how. Close, we are to teetering just right off the ledge of everything.
0: Yeah. That's that the world could end now, tomorrow, middle of right. the night, in your pajamas. You don't that's know. right.
1: You don't even have to have a predisposition to anxiety mm-hmm. or depression or stress or trauma,
0: like or paranoid schizophrenia, possibly in George's case.
1: Yeah. That I mean, you have
0: all of the, um you know, the ingredients to it is, it is a perfect sort of muesli of of instability <laughs> putting that together. It's like crazy granola. Um, <laughs> so uh, to give you an idea of the kind of shit that George got up to in 1976, George Roden um, with no prior political or public service experience, armed with nothing more than the magnificent self-confidence of a big barrel chested white man and a lifetime of being told that he is a very special boy. George Roden ran for president. I mean, cause why not? Yeah. I mean, uh, anyway, he did not make it past the first primary. He got 153 votes, uh, at the Georgia primary. And, um, a nice young man by the name of Jimmy Carter would go on to win that election <laughs> later on. We were spared a President Roden, so.
1: I've never gotten 153 votes for president. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, congratulations. I'll give them on the, that. <laughs> uh, the, uh, those were almost certainly all Davidians. But anyway, um, <laughs> so 1978, uh, Ben Roden passes away and his wife Lois takes over. Uh, and Lois, uh, conscience, conscious of her need to maintain some control. I would think, I'm assuming, I'm inferring, begins to start preaching interpretations of the Bible that are, shall we say, a little bit more matriarchal. She focuses more on the badass queens of the Bible and on the Virgin Mary and on the female figures rather than the kings such as David that have been the primary focus up to this point. This new uh, curriculum, I'm really not sure what to call her her new philosophy that she's preaching. The new doctrine. The new doctrine. Thank you. That was the noun I needed. God, you're so smart. Um, oh, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> this new doctrine, this new more uh, lady-friendly doctrine, not only reinforces her leadership as a woman, but it also broadens the appeal of the Branch Davidians, and they begin gaining newer, younger followers. Everything looks like it will proceed swimmingly into the end times, and the fire will rain from the sky, and the horsemen will ride, and the good will be rewarded, and the evil will be punished. That is the goal. That is everyone's goal, and they are on track to get there. That is until one fine day in 1981, when a new follower wanders into Mount Carmel in search of the good word of the new prophet, a young man with an encyclopedic Bible knowledge, big brown eyes, and a hint of Christian rock star swagger. Uh, Whoever could this be? (laughs) Who could it be? His name is Vernon Howell. And it took not but a minute for 22-year-old Vernon Howell to kick up a romance with 68-year-old Lois Roden. And when I tell you that George Roden was offended to the core of his bones about this, he hated Vernon, hate, hated him. There, I found some reports that I was not able to substantiate with any kind of documentation, but I like it. So I'm going to share it with you. I found some reports that George filed a lawsuit stating that Vernon Howell was using his mental powers to brainwash Lois and rape her. So there's no love lost between these two. So let's talk about Vernon Howell. Let's talk about this singular focus of the rage of George Roden. Whew. Vernon Howell was born August 17th, 1959 in the Houston area. So he's, he's a hometown boy for me. So proud. Um, and he's a Leo, which, in <laughs> retrospect, will make so much sense. Hmm. Uh, no reasonable person could ever be persuaded to describe Vernon's childhood as happy. Uh, Vernon's mother was a teenager when she had him. His father was a drifter who abandoned them both. And she raised her son strictly in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, mm. She did get remarried a couple of times to men who were varying degrees of abusive to the both of them. Uh, Vernon was an awkward kid He was not a great student He struggled with uh, what was most likely dyslexia But was never diagnosed um, Add to that a little bit of a stutter And the fact that the school put him in a learning disability program And yeah, inevitably Kids came up with a mean-ass nickname for him They called him Forgive me Mr. Retardo Oh, wow Yeah So what's a boy to do? Well, if you are a kid who has trouble reading and speaking and the only book that you're really allowed to practice on is the Bible and the only public speakers that you're allowed to listen to and practice with are evangelists, you start memorizing huge sections of the Bible, word perfect, and then preaching them to your classmates on the playground. You can imagine how popular this made young Vernon at school. Mm. So Vernon's only real friend was God, and he believed uh, as a child that God spoke to him directly and told him that he was destined for bigger and better things. So Vernon drops out of school in the 11th grade, but then he becomes one of those creepy dropout kids who still hangs out with high school students. Anyway, um, he, like a lot of other young men in the 70s, uh, wanted to be a rock star, so he learned how to play guitar, and he tried to make it big, and like most young men who attempted this in the 70s, he did not. (laughs) Um, he did manage to fall head over heels in love with the first pretty girl to look his way, and lost his virginity to her awe, um, He may or may not have gotten her pregnant. He'll never know because the girl's father shut it the hell down and forbade them to ever see each other again. And he didn't see her again. Um, Heartbroken, bereft. Uh, confused about his faith and his own behavior. uh Vernon Howell spent a few years bumming around trying to find this bigger, better mission that he knew God had put him on this earth for, and he found himself sort of following the church pathways into Mount Carmel, where he met and became romantically involved with the true prophet of the Branch Davidians, Lois Roden. Now, <clears> him, <throat> we here at Outlaws and Scorned Women do not have a problem with large age differences in a romantic relationship. He was 20-something, she's 60-something. That's okay. As we have stated before, as long as everyone involved is a consenting adult, one more time, a consenting adult, and nobody's getting hurt, y'all go on and May December it up if you want to. I don't care. More power to you. Anyway, so meanwhile, back at the compound.
1: I mean, while that's true and all, like, uh, oh, we're not meanwhileing yet. I, I, you know, I can, I can empathize or sympathize or, you know, I'd be a little bit, Pathize. I'd be maybe, you know, like 25% George in that situation. Like, what are <laughs> Look, you? I'm not
0: saying George was wrong. <laughs> what are you doing with your rock star <laughs> hips coming up
1: on my mom? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm, I'm open minded and all, but. But also, I'm not.
0: But, like, could you not get your greasy, long hair action all over my my mama? Yeah, don't you swoon at her. You go swoon over there. (laughs) Yeah, right. So, like, (laughs) yeah, there was some, it's a little suspicious, right? Like, Vernon Howell is young and hip and with it as much as you can get, certainly compared to the kids that grew up on Mount Carmel. He seems super worldly and cool, I imagine, to them. And like, why are you cozying up to the old lady if not because she's in charge? Right. Is this a targeted mm-hmm. approach? Are you? Mm-hmm. What's going on there? Anyway, so <clears> him, <throat> meanwhile, back right. at the compound. Meanwhile. In 1982, uh, Lois Roden had been working quietly in the background for a few years to get uh, approval from the Israeli government for her husband. To be buried in Israel, uh, and she finally got it. So he gets exhumed from the graveyard at Mount. One more time at Mount Carmel, uh, and she accompanies his body on a journey uh, to Israel. While she's away, Vernon sort of drifts, perhaps in his faithfulness to Lois, um, and he definitely starts winning over more of the followers. Uh, amongst the Branch Davidians, with his charisma. He's able to speak to them not as a vaunted prophet, but as a common man who had sins in his past too. And between the charisma and the youth and that relatability, he draws a lot of attention to himself and away from George. Lois returns, and she is clearly in a decline health-wise after that, which I suspect may be what emboldened Vernon to, in 1984, pull aside one of the guys that he knows is on his team, uh, a man named Perry Jones. And he tells Perry, hey, I had a talk with God, and God said that I should take a wife, and that that wife is your 14-year-old daughter, Rachel Jones. (sighs) So, you remember what I said just a minute ago? about may december relationships being okay consenting adults um Rachel Jones was 14 years old the reason Vernon had to go to her dad is because there was no other way to marry her legally we will talk about that I see you you've got it oh you guys can't see her face right now but she is biting her whole lips trying not to just talking about this we'll talk about it i promise we, that's one of the first things we're going to talk about anyway running off and marrying a teenager effectively ended his relationship with lois but perry what the fuck perry perry so
1: so really Vernon, you just god said huh god said like yeah so god Mm -hmm. what what words did he use no my my daughter
0: (laughs) yeah holy no perry perry never questioned it i've seen interviews with perry yeah where he's just like uh, I don't even know why I did that. Like, he just, it's like it was a different person. There's a complete just sort of being subsumed into that environment where by this time, um, you know, Vernon's been there for three years and for three years he's been like the right hand of the prophet and, and he's been preaching at them and the preaching is constant mm-hmm. and it's emphatic and it's he's got a, a natural mastery because again studying under evangel- evangelists for years he's got a natural mastery of the rhythms to lull people into yes. the listening
1: and that's a major we'll talk about it with the uh, discussions of cults too but a major yeah. um, function of some of those um, kind of trance inductions and the mm-hmm. mellifluous way you're being reeled in and the constant reminders and the constant you know, reinforcements, all of those um, from a social psychology point of view is to disrupt your ability to engage in critical thinking and analysis. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. to inhibit you from being able to like throw up your flags and say, wait, hold on, everybody. Mm-hmm. And then you're in this like peer mm-hmm.
0: pressure, pressure cooker. Yeah, especially when you're in a place like Mount Carmel, where it seems like everyone in the world is doing this. Yes. Because you don't see anything outside of it. So, like, that's all I can imagine is what, it it was the perfect sort of environment. And I feel like this may have been like a real, like a test fire for Vernon. Like, what can I get these people to do for me? Like, I I feel like, I feel like I can get him to give me his daughter. And then he did. And it worked. And so he, he, he married uh, Rachel. It was very clandestine. Like, he had – Perry, like, woke Rachel up in the middle of the night and told her to get dressed because she's going to go get married. And then he drive. they drive off campus, as it were, to to a place where they they shuffle the paperwork really quick. And Vernon's like, you're, you're married to me now. And she's like, okay. And then they go to a hotel and, you know, consummate that whole marriage thing. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And this all happened, like – off of Mount Carmel without Lois or George's blessing. So then he comes back and he's got this teen bride, this child bride, and um, yeah, I guess that Lois is like, I guess we're we're breaking up now? No. Uh, <laughs> um, oh. So Lois was hurt, she was furious, and she was also a very sick old lady and she passed away in 1985. Shortly thereafter, George Rodin, her son, Declared himself to be a messiah. As one does. Um, so now there's no Lois to act as a buffer between the two of them. The tensions between Vernon and George are rising and rising to a boiling pitch, and the group is splitting. Yeah. And I've even found some accounts that said that George held a presidential election. For, yeah. to make the, the branch Davidians choose who was going to be their leader. Wow. Uh, and whether or not that's true, either way, George won. So George and his people evicted Vernon and his people at gunpoint and forced them to leave Mount Carmel. George also tried to change the name of Mount Carmel to Rodenville. Uh, but that, that didn't really stick. Cause it sounds dumb, I think, <laughs> is why. Uh, but that's just that is entirely my opinion. Maybe Rodenville's a lovely name hmm. uh, so Vernon takes his people, and now they are. Um, they're homeless. They don't, <laughs> like a lot of them, the only home they've known was Mount Carmel. And so now Vernon is the only home they know. And he's their, their, their North Star. He's all they've got. And so he takes them to Palestine, Texas, which is a little less than two hours away. And they live in campgrounds. They are living in tents, in plywood boxes, in converted buses. It is um, shanty it's town fucking miserable I saw one person uh, I saw an interview with a survivor of this situation who said that they were absolutely miserable they were always cold or always hot always hungry you didn't eat unless everybody got to eat it was very much like a boot camp situation they were miserable but it was exciting because he was also putting them through weapons training and survival tactics and he was teaching uh-huh. them by a new golden rule which was You can't die for God if you can't kill for God. Whew! So, okay. So, George hears about all of this. And he continues to be deeply threatened by Vernon. So, in 1987, George Roden challenges Vernon Howell to a messiah off, (laughs) essentially. This is not a rap battle. (laughs) <laughs> no, um, basically, uh, the first one to raise somebody from the dead wins. Wins all all the marbles. Wins all the Branch Davidians. I don't know, but that's that that would be proving which one of them was actually a messiah. And so George, to set about uh, enacting this challenge, digs up a woman by the name of Anna Hughes, a Branch Davidian who had passed away some twenty years before and been buried on the property. Digs up her bones. And makes three solid attempts. I don't know exactly the mechanics to try to resurrect her. Vernon calls the cops on George because you're not supposed you're not supposed to you're not supposed to dig people up. I'm guessing it's frowned upon legally speaking. You're the lawyer; you could tell me for sure. But but I didn't prepare you with that question, so now you're like you're. I can see wheels spinning. Yeah, I'm, I mean I'm, like I'm, I'm, I've I'm,
1: seen. Yeah, I've heard desecration of a corpse, but I don't know yeah. what they, they're on the compound's property. I don't know what the rules are. I don't don't know. know.
0: It's, and that may have been the police's response as well. Kind of a, I don't, I don't know. Are you sure? What? So, (laughs) so, and the cops didn't really act on that. And so uh, Vernon, or at least they didn't act quickly enough. So Vernon gathered together seven of his followers and they all got dressed up in camo and snuck onto Mount Carmel to take pictures of George with the corpse as proof. They didn't, they didn't have a camera with them or anything to take, to take those pictures. Um, what they did have with them was two shotguns, <laughs> two 22 caliber rifles, and five, count them, five semi-automatic assault rifles. So wouldn't you know a shootout ensues? Well, you
1: could see what was going on through the scope. You could, <laughs> you could get a better... And you could take
0: a picture with your eyeball, with your eyeball. <laughs> through the scope. I don't know. Um, so yeah, a shootout ensues and George Roden is the primary target. Like, it was later reported, uh, amongst the Branch Davidians who were living there, uh, and the followers that somebody was yelling out, don't shoot anybody but George. Ah. So they were there to, uh, one would think assassinate George Roden. George, uh, for his part, I mean, they did return fire because, yes, the Branch Davidians owned guns out on their property because Texas. Um, but he hid behind a tree to avoid getting shot. And the tree he was hiding behind took so many bullets that it turned to sawdust oh. before his very eyes. And he was minorly injured in the process. Uh, but the greatest wound inflicted upon George Roden that day was the fact that he got run off his own property. The sheriff came, interrupted the firefight, and politely, with a minimum of fuss, managed to collect everybody's guns and arrest all the shooters. Um, but George Roden would never return to Mount Carmel after that. Vernon and his seven followers were charged with the attempted murder of George Roden. The seven followers were acquitted. Uh, Vernon got a mistrial. The jury could not decide what to say about him. So uh, and the prosecution decided not to pursue again after the mistrial was declared. So there were zero legal repercussions for anyone involved in this, except that the Branch Davidians definitely got on law enforcement's radar after that, because they had now demonstrated that they were um, willing and able to point guns at each other.
1: Definitely through that um, pacifist, you know, ethos that, whole pacifist that thing? did prevail. We
0: drop that off the list of stuff that we do. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Super gone now. So George Roden descends into a furious madness and starts lashing out at the legal system. He filed multiple motions threatening to use his divine powers to inflict herpes and aids on the judges that were involved with the trials of the men who came to kill him. Um apparently that is not something you're you're supposed to do. So George Roden spent 6 months in jail for that little show of intellect. <laughs> poor, um, poor George, he's just not winning Poor George. Anything. He's- he I mean, honestly, I I don't know that he ever stood a chance. Um, In 1989, George Roden leaves Waco in disgrace and moves into a duplex in Odessa, Texas, where he becomes convinced that his duplex neighbor is an assassin sent by Vernon Howell to kill him, and he bludgeons the man to death with a hatchet. He is charged with that murder and found not guilty by reason of insanity. Yep. I told you Texas would say it. I don't know how to say it. Texas said it. And he gets put away. In a mental institution in Spring, Texas. That's right. Um, Quick sidebar. Uh, Years later, years after all of this later, George Roden would escape the mental institution. <laughs> and he would be found three days later causing a ruckus outside the Israeli consulate in New York City. He was upset because they would not grant him a visa to go visit his... I, I, I heard one report that it was to go visit his oh, father's wow. grave in okay. Israel. Okay. So he got returned to the mental institute, escaped again. Got returned to the mental institute again, uh and then he escaped for a third time, but he didn't get far because before he could even get off the grounds of the institute, he suffered a fatal heart attack and
1: oh, died, okay,
0: so that thus endeth the sad, sad life of George Roden, Meanwhile, back at the compound. Uh Vernon Howell settles in as the patriarch of Mount Carmel. Uh, he gathers in some funds, he kisses his teenage bride goodbye, and he goes on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And in 1990, he returns to Mount Carmel, declaring himself to be a second Messiah, chosen by God, to interpret the book of Revelations and guide his people into the end times, which definitely, absolutely could happen at any moment. In recognition of this... Elevation to Messiah, Vernon Howell legally changed his name to David Koresh. He picks the name himself, uh, David, as in King David, as in Davidians, because branding. Um, And Koresh, because he found that Koresh was another name for an ancient Persian king named Cyrus. So he named himself King 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 there you go that's right (laughs) and so with nobody in the world left alive to oppose him and well aware of the fact that the eyes of law enforcement were now always upon him david koresh assumed absolute authority over every living soul in the branch davidian compound outside of waco texas Uh, that's our lovely story, yeah. this portion of it. Um, I have some legal questions, and you are holding up a finger. Tell me what. I
1: can't wait to to answer one of them, especially <laughs> because I was like, huh! when I looked into one of them. Um,
0: tell me. Tell me. Is it about the child it's bride? It's about the child
1: bride. It's about child tell marriage. Tell me
0: about the child bride. Just,
1: just want to um, ask you a quick question. Take a wild guess as to... You know, since it was legal at the time, Dave, um, Vernon Howell married a 14-year-old mm-hmm. with one parent's consent. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. When do you think Texas said, hey, you know what? Enough with this whole child marriage thing. I'm going
0: to, you know, I'd like to think that it was never a thing, but we are where we are. And I see the look on your face. So I'm going to say never. It's still allowed. Oh, I mean, Close.
1: 2017. <laughs> because, I mean, when I saw... That's only three years ago. When I saw the, like, he married a 14-year-old with consent, I'm like, what? So under the previous regime... Oh, my God. Um, So you could marry... Um, Okay, an 18-year-old could independently... Mm-hmm decide they were getting married. And from 16 right. to 18 with parental consent, there you go. Um below 16, you just needed parental consent and a judge to approve it. And oh my god. Holy let let's blow your mind even more at okay. at the time the state um decided to end its child marriage regime under which there was no statutory like minimum age um, Texas had the dubious distinction of being like number two in the nation for the number of minors that were married what? as young as 12. What? Yeah. So, what? So, holy. Why? Yeah. It turns out the, um, in 2016 there was this um, Pew Research Center report. This isn't a problem that Is unique to Texas. Okay. Oh my gosh. In 2016, 12 other states banned marriage under the age of 16. Let me go a step further. (laughs) Around that time, Virginia became the first state to raise the minimum age of marriage to 18.
0: Oh my God. So. Virginia? Virginia. And so,
1: as a frame, like where we are a frame of reference the age of consent in Texas to engage in sexual activity is uh-huh. 17 okay right uh-huh. and so the age of the younger person like you know to consent to sexual activity um that means sex with a 16 year old mm-hmm. could be could expose a person to a number of felony offenses
0: okay like good
1: yes statutory rape sexual mm-hmm. assault indecency with a child and then there's the Romeo and Juliet law is what it's called, where if the two individuals, the two persons are very close in age, right? Okay. There's that. Mm-hmm. But in in many states and in Texas, it was a defense to those crimes if the um, people were married. You can assert a defense to a crime because you're married and because the state permitted under the circumstances of um, parental consent and judge approval, oh so I was expecting like if that was a thing back then, surely
0: mm-hmm. we would go. Oh, so that somebody slipped
1: through. Surely that.
0: this case, surely this incident where we had to charge down a wall with a tank about it. Well, you would, would say, have been a turning point legally oh, speaking.
1: That person married a fourteen-year-old. Yeah, we need to make sure. There's do something about that. Holy moly. holy shit and the um the actual bill in texas that um led to the prohibition
0: of anyone Mm -hmm. under the age of 16 getting okay i mean you know those um, precocious 16 year olds totally ready to like manage a household budget and contemplate having kids seriously
1: (sighs) um but the one of the primary advocates was a woman who had basically been married off as a child and okay. there is a lot of evidence that there are just significant terrible consequences to yeah to these you know to these young girls like they uh, they experience trauma um yeah. you know p t s d they're more uh-huh. susceptible to psychological disorders, and mm-hmm. so uh, yeah, there are very strong reasons to prohibit it, and it seems like you run into this um Conflict with certain um, religious movements who, yeah. you know, believe that that this is okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 2017, 2017
1: September one, because that's when the Three law went into effect. So years ago. So it became. It, there was a bill in 2016 that was signed into law, and under Abbott, um, and the um, the change became effective in 2017 holy moly
0: holy shit so when i when i
1: when you brought that up my the reason my face lit up because i was like (laughs) apparently we're
0: not so far off (laughs) oh my god i just don't i don't understand i don't understand like i have i have a 13 year old and an 11 year old i have a 12 year old yeah like you've met these people I mean... In no way, in no way, are they anywhere near, like, prepared to be treated as adults. No. And... And, like, I believe that I would rip the head immediately from the shoulders of anyone who tried.
1: I... I mean...
0: What the fuck, Perry?
1: Sorry. (laughs) Just... Perry knows. why did he do that? I'm thinking... That, you know, when you are so full into like if you are a person that is has become like subsumed by mm-hmm. cultic behavior, you know, right. um, you that I guess one of the most harmful things like the difference between typical organized religion, the tip, you know, a religious movement and what some people kind of scorn as a cult has right. to do with that exploitation of people. The fact mm, that okay. um, one of the negatives of a cult is that there are so many instances of people being persuaded to commit highly unethical or illegal mm-hmm. acts. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you you become um, kind of indoctrinated to the point where you can turn on your values. It can be mm-hmm. okay under some circumstance to serve this person to serve Mm -hmm. this higher purpose or and so i can only imagine that if he had been kind of softened up and he was a true believer well you know what would you sacrifice for your for your forever after
0: and what would you sacrifice for the honor of of your daughter has been chosen i mean by by the prophet of god So then, and if God told him, I want you to marry Rachel, then Rachel was chosen by God. And like, why would you not be like, and look, I just, I want to, I don't know if we haven't stated this explicitly. This is, we're not trying to shit on on Christianity here. Mm -mm. Um, This is specifically this group of people.
1: Well, so, right. The the difference between like, there are some groups that um, are centered around, you know, um, a benefit to the people, right? Mm -hmm. Like most religions, you exalt God or your higher Mm -hmm. power, and then that is used to make life better for everybody. Okay, yeah. So what distinguishes, um, like a cult, for instance, is everything becomes this excessive devotion and dedication to the person, to the leader. Mm -hmm. Everything is um your most important relationship is with that leader mm-hmm. your way your way through is that charismatic mm-hmm. authoritarian
0: leader and that person becomes the conduit that that is that person becomes the way that you reach the divine so then they interpose themselves between you mm-hmm. and and the font of your faith and then they become the font of your faith
1: and so it's very different than like you know um self-improvement or mm-hmm. meditation or you know prayerful people and groups and religion mm-hmm. like there is a value and a benefit to that um but i as i dug into what is a cult and yes, tell me what is things. the difference between that and a religious movement i mm-hmm. really was struck by that destructive tendency that exploitation mm-hmm. um that everything really is um that people are forced to place their own needs and their family below the needs of the leader and what Mm -hmm. is being asked. I mean, that's, that's what's problematic. Um, So also um, it should be like, this is opinion. This is um, when you're talking about, from what I understand, um, cults and what have been defined or pointed to as cults. It's a subjective value judgment Mm -hmm. because, um, A lot of religious movements and a lot of these um, like what happened when the the Davidians and then before Mm -hmm. that, the Seventh Day Adventists, they arose when there were multiple movements. Right. And so over time, you could become a legitimate religion Mm -hmm. or as in the case here, you might kind of veer off into more cult like organization.
0: I feel like the cult tag is something that gets hung on in retrospect if you like if you looking back at say charles manson mm-hmm. or jo- or jonestown yes which are names that are spoken of in the same breath as david koresh yes um when you look back on them then yeah that's a cult that's totally a cult but like when you're in the middle of it maybe it's not so obvious and then mm-hmm. maybe when you're looking back at the activity and and from I'm not sure where I'm going with this. You no, were saying. I think, <laughs> I think that's right. Right. So
1: you do look at a lot of the characteristics and determine whether they apply in retrospect. Like so mm-hmm. um, a basic definition is mm-hmm. it's a system or group of people who practice um, this excessive devotion to either a figure or mm-hmm. an object or a belief system. You know, there has to be some organizing principle. And they typically follow a charismatic leader. And so mm-hmm. you're right. When you brought up um, Charles Manson, you know, um, he's typically right, yeah. point he's pointed at um, the Heaven's Gate cult. That was a guy, Marshall Applewhite. <sighs> yeah. Um, now, what he convinced his followers that they could transcend,
0: mm-hmm. that they
1: could leave this world behind and they could get a ride on the... Um, the spaceship the yep the spaceship it was that, the comet right there was a comet but there was a spaceship at the end in the tail of the comet they believed oh, okay. and so 39 members committed suicide Jesus. Um, and then the people's That's temple so many i know mm-hmm. the the people's temple that was jim jones mm-hmm. they wanted to establish a utopia they wanted they had these kind of secular views of um you know, a, an equal society. And they believed in, you know, um, this like Christian plus integrated kind of society. And they Mm -hmm. wanted to form this new, um, society. And then when the, um, I guess, California Congressman Ryan was getting these letters from family members saying they're in Guyana, they're doing all this kind of indoctrination and, Mm -hmm. um, what is it um what do you call it brainwashing or whatever yeah and so uh-huh. he took um a journalist and some aides, and he went to guyana
0: mm-hmm. they were killed and yes and there, like some of the like i think a cameraman survived yes but it was a bloodbath One
1: of, on that tarmac they were trying to help somebody defect with him mm-hmm. and they were killed and i think that was the the moment and jim jones was like they're they're not gonna let us be at peace yeah Mm -hmm. and 900 people murder suicides so 900 the um they're oh my god i didn't realize it was that many and they became that was the deadliest loss of life until like september 11th like that was a
0: holy shit
1: and so that became the marker that became the like that's a cult because mm-hmm. you know everything all of these people were so devoted to Jim Jones and the people's temple, and when he said, "This is what we have to do i mean there are um, there are interviews with people that just didn't happen to be there when that uh-huh. happened, and they were like members yeah of the cult like, like that they just had weren't there, they just hadn't been on site on that property at oh that time, God. so it was a swift like yeah, it was a swift, transformative moment. And I mean, there were children, there were families, there were. Mm-hmm. And so. Um,
0: but with that many people, because it was the Kool-Aid thing, right? Yeah,
1: that was there was that. the, uh, Yes, that was the they poisoned the. Yeah. yeah.
0: But like with that many people, like there's no way that there are people who haven't drunk the Kool-Aid yet, which is why we have that cliche mm-hmm. drinking the Kool-Aid. Uh, to signify that somebody has has gone over to a, a nonsensical belief. Um, there, there's no way that there weren't people who hadn't drunk it yet that didn't look over and see the people that had had died, but they went ahead and drank
1: it. Yes. Well, and so uh, one of the, there's a, an explained documentary on Netflix that talks mm-hmm. about cults and they had one of the um, survivors and she was talking about how there were aides or administrators, you know, mm-hmm. in the, The hierarchy of the cult that had gone and supplied poison to children in the fields. So I can imagine that if your children have been poisoned and Mm -hmm. all of this is happening around you, I, I can imagine some people are like, I can't, I can't go back to America. I can't, what, what is my life after this? And that was her expression of it. But when she said it, it just, I I really understand, like, what do you, how do you even process that moment?
0: What is it in human psychology that A, allows you to do this to other people, and B, allows you to have it done to you? So, uh, do you want to talk? What the hell? Oh, do you have that information? I was speaking rhetorically, but if you've got it, let's go. Oh, it's
1: interesting. So, um, Okay. When I was researching cults, there was um, Margaret Singer. She's a PhD. She used to be a professor at Berkeley. She had this, like, the, the book, the authoritative, like, she had been studying mm-hmm. thousands of, uh, you know, re- her research covered, like, thousands of cults in America. Like, there are so many. And mm-hmm. um, she described the techniques that they used and mm-hmm. how it is all an organized, like, coordinated program of like coercive tactics and it's meant to shape and inform the behavior of the members such that Mm -hmm. you can divorce them from their previous identity and fill them with what they need to be and do to serve the cult
0: but do you think that they, this is something that they actually like define? And by they, I mean like cult leaders where they're like, and this is how I will manipulate the followers. Or is this something that they just have an instinct for?
1: That's a really good question because I think one of the things like, um, she brought up and she brought it up a couple of times was the deceptive recruiting. Mm-hmm. You are never pulled into a doomsday cult thinking I'm about to walk into this crazy shit.
0: Yeah instead they they don't hit you with the apocalypse on day 1 no the agenda
1: is hidden like what mm-hmm. you see are the you know the the shiny happy mm-hmm. like the big smiling everything is a good purpose we're good people you're good people mm-hmm. and it's an invitation and there's nothing forceful there's this whole onslaught of mm-hmm. happiness and Just aggressive goodwill belonging yes mm-hmm. and she what did she call it love bombing it was, oh it's freaking amazing and it's designed to prey on your vulnerability mm-hmm. and in one of the other documentaries i saw they indicated one of the essential elements is the person that's being targeted has to be in a transition or vulnerable you okay. have to be in a place in life where you're willing to try something new where mm-hmm. you're willing to you know see what that's all about go take that class go sit in on that sermon go to that book club it's always an event and you're invited to be a part of it okay and um then there's a destabilization like once you're lured in after um after you're kind of you know pushed and prodded and you're given Mm -hmm. this warm fuzzy feeling and you see the elation and you feel the you know the the warm fuzzy vibe that you haven't felt Mm -hmm. and however long well then there's this organization to kind of control your patterns and the physical environment Mm -hmm. so that you can't think too long on it you can't get stuck on what might be wrong right and if you're destabilized if you can't Mm -hmm. stop and think well then you end up kind of looking to the cult for support you look to the other members you look to the leader Mm -hmm. and So it's not so much that there's a type of person that's more manipulative, more manipulable, manipulatable. Um, It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just that a vulnerability is
0: being exploited. Mm -hmm. So really anybody, anybody could, could be, could exist at some point in their lives in a state where they are vulnerable to this kind of predation. Yes. Well, that's terrifying. It's totally because there's.
1: There's flattery, and it's coming from every direction.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
1: very, I mean, that seems very premeditated, right? Don't let yeah. anybody see the ugly outsides. Mm-hmm. Only let people feel the the love and joyous feeling. And it's all to bring wealth and power to the cult leader. Um, mm-hmm. The third point was um, dependency and dread. You have to okay. create an environment where there is this sense of either powerlessness without the cult leader mm. or hopelessness. Like there's mm. anxiety. And that's where some of the doomsday cults are very effective, right? Yeah. If you leave, you're subjecting yourself to this, the, the horrible, scary outside world. You're mm. certainly going to, you're going to fall prey to the evils or you're right. not going to be with us when we ascend. And if you,
0: if you reject the word of the prophet Then how can you possibly be scooped up with the good people when the fire rains out of the sky? That's right. And you're going to burn.
1: And, um, you know, part of that destabilization, they were already cultivating like dependence. And they were also like, while they're immersing you, they're cutting Mm -hmm. you off from everybody else. They're cutting you off from the people that would reflect And say, wait, that's not who you are. That's not what you're like. From
0: from the people whose judgment you trust when you question your own. They don't want you to have that other voice. It's it's what abusers do as well, just in in personal relationships.
1: That's right. If you are trying to, you know, manipulate somebody, you certainly want to isolate them from. Mm -hmm. And you don't want them to make new outside connections, right? Right. The same way Mm -hmm. you're filling a hole, you don't want them to find a better vehicle for filling at me right and so then um apparently the dependency and dread is just reinforced by mm-hmm. the rituals and the chants mm-hmm. and that's where you get into some of that the cult leaders um mm-hmm. they will manipulate by having a spy network for instance like apparently mm-hmm. it's very common for the leader who you want to have that closest relationship with to talk to people and They'll elicit confessions or they'll hear the tattles. And then later they'll bring up, oh, so-and-so is questioning. Mm -hmm. Well, now you Mm -hmm. feel like that person's a damn psychic or that they have some special knowledge. Right. And they use that. And then there's also the, wait, if I tell my wife something and then he blasts it or the cult leader blasts it, well, then I don't have anybody that I can talk to about my questions. Right. So then you have to retrain your thinking to not slip mm-hmm. up. So mm-hmm. that was I thought really interesting. You're basically getting people to self-modify and self-regulate to the point that they fit the mold and Margaret Singer called it a pseudo personality, like a pseudo cult personality, like you develop okay. a new identity. Oh, okay. And that makes sense. This is also something that's very crazy um, in terms of how it made me think about what's going on in the world. Every cult, she said, develops its own lingo. It has its own jargon, a special way of describing the world and their beliefs. Mm -hmm. And that cult lingo disrupts your normal thinking, right? You Mm -hmm. have to understand it in that special way you talk about it. And you have to, you know, describe your thinking in a way that's, you know, meets those expectations of that special lingo. And you, I was thinking about it in terms of you almost have to act like you get it. Mm -hmm. Right? Even if somebody says something that just sounds batshit and incredible, you're like, right,
0: right. Well, it's like learning language when you're a toddler. (laughs) You don't understand all the noises that are coming out of the giant people's mouths. So you just kind of nod along until you start to get it. Yes. If you're an adult and you're learning an entire new lexicon associated with this group that has become the focus of your world, right. you're just going to kind of nod along until that is how you think because you start thinking in the language. Yes. Is what I think you're saying. I think so.
1: I think so. And okay, it's cool. this like, so you have these labels and they break a person's old identity down and you mm-hmm. get remade for the cult. And then, you know, the the whole system is to represent why you are up why you know the cult leader is up here and you are down here Mm -hmm. right you know you are just the nothing that needs everything through the cult leader and um, then people get desensitized in these systems because you're that's how you feel on a moment to moment basis so then when the cult leader humiliates or abuses somebody You see that and even if your conscience would ordinarily tell you that's ridiculous, you justify it and rationalize Mm -hmm. it because this cult leader is godlike. The cult leader has been ordained. So Mm -hmm. the outside world is wicked. So it's okay if we Mm -hmm. lie to them or those people don't understand or are part of the enemy. So it's okay if we do these bad things to them. Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, even within you've reorganized yourself and, um, it's really bizarre that cult leaders will, um, I mean, it becomes so much, the person is so absorbed by that identity that, Mm -hmm. um, even mothers would have trouble explaining why they allow things to happen to their children
0: or they allowed right. the cult leader to come between them and their spouse. And that is something that we're going to see a lot of in our next episode during yes. the reign of David Koresh. That's There's right. A lot of shit that people do that they cannot explain to themselves later. No
1: kidding. And it's the, the it's such a closed system. That's the final right. thing. And here they're physically closed off. There's no management to complain to. Uh, right. I think that was the way uh, Margaret Singer put it. And it was so great. Like as a follower, you're Mm -hmm. just a peon you're wrong like you're not you're not at a level where you can question Mm -hmm. the motives or the outcomes of your all-knowing leader um and you know you you can't challenge the leader it's you know it's a total system like Mm -hmm. you are either a hundred percent or you're not and so people end up like letting themselves get totally taken in then um like there were some cults. There was one with Reverend, uh, Reverend Moon and Mrs. Moon. They taught the the cult members that they are the only true parents. You don't have those oh. other parents anymore. So you, yeah. What? Okay. I mean, so there are these like, they really do interrupt the bonds. Mm-hmm. You can't have a bond of family except save the cult. Um, so this new reality gets created. And then the cult becomes your moral guide, because it's at the center. Then there's usually an external enemy,
0: Mm -hmm. and then all because you have to,
1: yeah, that's right. And then all of it's reinforced by peer pressure, Mm -hmm. and so now you've just, you know, you've um, completely like taken over that individual, and it's all to grow the power, wealth, and prestige of the cult and the cult leader, and. I think that separates it from other movements. Other movements Mm -hmm. are not oriented towards that singular focus, that one individual. Like, usually Mm -hmm. there's a corollary benefit to the person, right? Right,
0: yeah. And um, here that... Usually, religion serves the community. A cult is using religion to serve the leader. Right. I mean, otherwise, it would just
1: be blasphemy that the most important relationship is the cult leader. Well, right. No, but that's why they have to elevate themselves to the mm-hmm. status of, you
0: know, a god or, mm-hmm. you know, a prophet. And so you have um, to declare yourself to be a prophet. You have to declare yourself to be a messiah. Perform some miracles. Do some. Do some shit. No,
1: that's right. And if you were doing impress me, yeah. And if you were doing it on the up and up and right, you could share mm-hmm. the secret at the very first meeting right? right. If it was just community, well, then you wouldn't have to, you know, lock people in a room and get them to confess to you. You know, there are so many aspects that kind of revealed that
0: there are no tests of loyalty. If the if it's there to serve you and the community, like,
1: right, you don't have to stop talking to your parents on the outside, right? You don't have to, you know, make these, make a decision of whether or not you're going to go you Know, kill somebody to start a war, or mm-hmm. um, you know, what is it, kill for God? Um, because right. you and, can't die
0: for God if you can't kill for God.
1: Holy moly! And so, wow. um, Reza As- Aslan made the he's a religious scholar made mm-hmm. the comment that there's a joke that cult plus time equals religion. Oh, wow, and he also brought up a really good point that during the eras where you see the rise of a lot Mm -hmm. of these charismatic or prophets, um, they tend to be politically and socially turbulent times. And these people are filling a vacuum, offering special knowledge, special Uh meaning, Mm -hmm. and um, acceptance Mm -hmm. to people that need it. Now, what's terrifying is that You no longer need a compound. That's right. Now, people in their own homes across message boards can find community and can find this kind of perpetual feedback loop of reinforcement Mm -hmm. of a system of beliefs or Mm. ideas. And they can, you know, radicalize in real time without showing up in a particular location.
0: You don't actually have to go to the compound mm-hmm. when the compound is practically in your own mind. It's on your phone in your pocket at all times. It's on your mm-hmm. computer. It's it's your social media apps. It's uh, yeah. It's your super secret website that nobody but everybody knows about.
1: Yes. Um. So yeah, I really there. If you want to dive into cults, there are so many documentaries and i watched a bunch and sometimes i just felt so doomed because um (laughs) there are so many flavors holy crap like it doesn't have to be a religious cult it could be a new agey cult or an eastern philosophy cult it could be a marketing fad or
0: a political or cult
1: political revolutionary satanic that was on the list Mm -hmm. um (laughs) Like, of course, none of my research showed me like what the crazy um, satanic cult has done. But there is a there's not not really any. But but there is a political movement that is centered around Mm -hmm. the idea of a satanic cabal. Yeah. Um, There is something about the people Mm -hmm. being radicalized around a belief system and being invited to understand or invited Mm
0: -hmm. to gain access to this special knowledge Right. Like if you like what David Koresh was doing was pulling people in and telling him, I understand the book of Revelations and I can interpret it for you. And I have knowledge that nobody else in the world has. And when you have this knowledge, you are so smart and you are smarter than all the stupids out there that don't know it. So here are these super arcane things that you can know and you will be able to see the signs and interpret them correctly. And you are in the know and nobody else is. And like, I hear that exact kind of language. All the time. If you can hear the sound of my voice, you have a member of your family. I'm willing to bet a shiny penny. You have a member of your family who, at some point in the past year, has said stuff like that. I did. On social media. Yep. Like, maybe you've seen a crazy uncle's, uh, posts, or maybe you've gotten into a bit of a ruckus with With an auntie or someone like you, you know, somebody, everybody knows somebody who talks this way. And that the critical thing
1: about the cult, and perhaps it resonates with what we saw in the um, the failed prophecies of um, Lois, is Mm -hmm. the the mindset of a cult, the mindset of this, um, the group almost uh, immunizes people to the failures Because the cult leader can turn around and say, obviously, we didn't, you know, prepare for the Mm -hmm. coming well enough. Or obviously, you guys weren't prayerful Mm -hmm. enough
0: for this to have happened. You guys didn't show up with enough. You didn't give me enough money. Not not enough of you had guns or you lost your nerve. Right. Um, Or If somebody had stepped up when Florence's failed 1959 apocalypse happened if ben Roden had stepped up and said you guys let's all just go home let's Mm -hmm. just go home the world's not gonna end and let's go home we would have we wouldn't have a story to be talking about today because he would have nipped it in the bud well
1: i mean i would i would like to you know believe that is true but it seems like vernon howell just walked into he was just fortunate because there was low hanging fruit.
0: Oh, there were
1: a bunch of people that were already primed
0: to accept
1: that message from him.
0: By the time Vernon Howell walked into Mount Carmel, that was a thriving ecosystem of apocalyptic cult activity like yes but because they were it was almost like a like a hippie commune type situation you know they're like growing their own crops and raising chickens and it's really diverse and a lot of girl power and like it was very 70s and um yeah it was like a ready-made cult all he had to do was oust george and it turned out george was an easy target bless his heart
1: so this is funny um
0: I was thinking back
1: to when I was young and fun in the, the city of Austin. When You're I was still fun, Aww. we're having fun right now. Love it. <laughs> Say it again so I can hear it in my little recording. Um, <laughs> but I remember more than once I was invited to an events and I was offered um, from other people how special I was and that there was oh. a, a quality like a mystical special. Oh. And mm-hmm. um, I was being invited to kind of join and hang out with some folks. Oh, yeah. And let me just tell you, my um, spidey sense went off <laughs> primarily because when somebody flatters me that much, I immediately think they're full of shit. my imposter syndrome is so great
0: (laughs) our insecurities will save us absolutely save this is why we're friends yeah
1: you cannot lure me by telling me that there is a star shape on my palm
0: because i won't believe you and um yeah so no absolutely not and i'm also not gonna buy your essential oils back off hippie
1: but i will say margaret singer did suggest because she did all of this research and so i keep going back to her because she had the most like the textbook the yeah, that yeah, i yeah. could like read through the most but with the whole well what's wrong with cults and you know she really kind of kept looping back to the the exploitation right like we should be able yeah. to draw a line like if somebody is having other people like give their children to somebody you know that's that's something yeah. we can draw a line at and she said a lot of people ask her, what do you do? And she was like, we just need to really instill greater critical thinking and reasoning Mm -hmm. into people so that they can see faulty logic that they can identify faulty logic and they can remain skeptical. Right. When somebody offers them things that they know are too good to be true, that they know don't fit within their current frame of reality. Um, you know, kind of build people's resolve to not mm-hmm. fall for it. Because when we're vulnerable, when we're in that state of transition where we're open to trying new things, you need to be careful what new thing you're trying, yeah, you know. Because you're wet clay right then.
0: Yeah. And something's going to make an impression. You
1: know, get a Peloton. Don't be radicalized on 4chan, <laughs>
0: right? like that, that's, that's the solution. We have choices. Don't join a cult buy a bike <laughs> that has a rabid social media following <laughs> that has apps and videos that you can follow to ride it you're just joining the bike cult okay stuff. sorry fine what i mean is like do <laughs> do nature hikes like do a hobby you know start Get addicted to girl scout cookies do, do, do flower else.
1: presses you know like Identify birds by their sounds, I don't know go back,
0: go back to the beginning of quarantine and take up the hobbies that you didn't. like learn how to make sourdough. Do something else all All we're saying is that there are
1: so many things. life is beautiful, there is art to be created. um Don't give yourself up to you know a single person's promises of special knowledge.
0: yeah, there, boom, stitch that on a really large pillow. In the meantime, like if if you are considering joining a cult, don't. But if you are, um please at least wait until you've listened to our whole story here. Uh give us a couple more episodes to turn to turn you around on that one, okay? Okay, baby? Cuz we love you. Oh, we love you. I love you too, guys. Well, alright. Thank y'all for listening, and for your patience as we try and get back into the swing of this whole podcasting thing. As we said, this is just the first episode in a multi-part series about the Branch Davidian debacle in Waco, so definitely stay tuned, there will be more. You can get in touch with us on all the social medias at oswpodyal. That's at Oswpodyall. Or you can email us at outlawsandscornedwomen at gmail.com. As always, we are neither of us members of the press or law enforcement. We are just cribbing off of their good work. So links to our sources will be posted in the show notes. And I think that's it. So y'all have a good one and we will see you next time.